Welcome to the World Impact Ministries Sermon of the Week with today's message by Pastor Beverly Rayfeld. You ready to go with me? Okay, so this is this is more of a teaching this morning. A lot of times that you know there's there's preaching and there's exhortation. This is kind of more of a of a teaching. And so if you're a note taker, um, you might want to jot down a few notes this morning. Um, so I'm going to uh, start out by sharing with you a, a little bit about a trip that David and I had gone on a couple times, and, and I've shared a little bit about it before. Um, there was a customer of his when we had zero money. He was just starting his business. We were broker than broke, and a customer of his just out of the blue handed him the keys to her five-bedroom, four-and-a-half-bath home built into the mountains way up in North Carolina, gated community on a golf course, you know, um, you talk about how the other half lives. I got to witness for the first time in my life how the other half lives. And so, but to get to this place, you had to drive up into the mountains of North Carolina, not like halfway up. I'm talking, you are driving up into some mountains. Have any of you ever been in like way up in mountains where, where yeah. So you know what I'm talking about, the hairpin curves and, um, and so this is, on one side of these mountains was a large wall of rock that was shooting straight up. Um, and every once in a while you would see signs that said, watch for falling rocks. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, like that's going to help us. We'll see them coming, but we won't be, have, be able to go anywhere because the roads are so narrow. Um, you can barely picture two cars being able to pass, you know, go opposite directions on this road because the roads are so narrow. And well, so the wall is on this side. On the other side is a plummet like that goes so far down you cannot see the bottom. And you're just going, you know, you know, David's driving. And so we're driving um, and there's no guardrails. There's no guardrails. Have you guys been in mountains like this? No guardrails where you literally your prayer life it really ramps up. Even if you don't pray normally, you pray when you're on these roads, especially if you're not the one driving. Um, so the dialogue on the way up and on the way down is quite redundant as I am continually yelling, slow down, stop, slow down. You know, and David, at one point, he, I mean, literally every, every five seconds, I would, you know, because these hairpin curves, you can't see around the corner. You don't know what's coming. And they're building houses up there. That's what shocked me. There's these massive trucks that are coming at us from the other lane, and you're just going, how in the world are we going to both fit through the same road? And somehow we did, but it was, it was very scary. And, uh, you know, every five seconds, my husband is... is, is you know, he finally looked at me. He said, if I had a nickel for every time you said the word slow down, I, I would be a wealthy man. And you see signs like that, that tell you to slow down or sharp curve or watch for falling rocks. Um, and, uh, and every so often um, on these hairpin curves, and this is no joke, there were crosses where people actually probably, that's all I can assume, went over the edge somewhere. So there were actual, well, that did not reassure me at all that I was in a place of safety in any way, shape, or form. And so that just ramped up my, my dialogue of slow down, <laughs> slow down, slow down. And so as, as he was maneuvering through these winding roads, too, for some reason, 
between the slow downs, because he was driving, so he's on the inside, he's on the inside, and I'm over here where I'm like, you know, there's no guardrail. And I just kind of had this thing, if I was constantly leaning like this, it's like if I lean hard enough, I can keep this car from going over the edge. If his tire gets too close, if I lean hard enough, it'll help him stay on the road. And so this was this was that trip. And so all the way up, I was a nervous wreck. And all the way down, I was a nervous wreck. And those roads, because of the treacherous terrain, they needed to be navigated very carefully. You could not drive recklessly up there. You could not speed. You needed to follow the road signs because if you didn't, your life really depended on it. If you took a curve too fast, there is no telling what might happen. And, and so you had to really pay attention to the cautions and, and every sign that was posted, you really paid attention so that you could see what was coming ahead. And I realized that such is life. Such is life. Treacherous going at times, isn't it? You don't know what's around the bend, and sometimes you look to the right, and, and it feels threatening. And so you look to the left, and that doesn't look much better either. Sometimes it doesn't look like there's any options out there that are actually very good. Everywhere you look, you're just, it just feels dangerous. It doesn't feel comfortable. There's a lack of peace. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you're watching for falling rocks. You're waiting for the next bad thing. And on, on these places, in these places of life where the road feels very narrow, we need to navigate very carefully. It's, it's just, it's the way it is. There are so many unexpected twists and turns. How many of you have encountered unexpected things in your life that you never saw coming? You just never saw them coming. And when they came, it, you know, it just, it, it, it took, yeah, huh? yeah, Sarah and Jake. Um, it just, it takes you aback. And, and, you know, sometimes it feels like a, a slug in the gut. Um, it, sometimes it doesn't feel like there are any options out there that would, would even be God-given. And so these places, if we're not careful, we can make wrong turns on very narrow roads. And those wrong turns leave us with a world of regret. And if, if there's anyone in here like me, I have had my fair share of regret over the years. We think if I wouldn't have done that then, I wouldn't be dealing with this now. Or if I would have just taken action then, I would be so much further ahead right now. And there is regret for not having navigated some of these narrow places more carefully. And every single one of us um, has dealt with the consequences of foolish actions or sometimes absolute inaction when we should have taken action, which produced unpleasant and sometimes downright disastrous results. So sometimes we haven't acted at all, and that's produced a disastrous result. And sometimes we've taken action we shouldn't have, and that produced a, a disastrous results. And so how do we stay out of the ditches when the road seems narrow and there are so many twists and turns, how do we stay on those narrow places? The Bible has a word for it, and it's called wisdom. And, and I want to tell you something. Wisdom is not connected to faith at all. If it was unwise choices that put you in a ditch... It's not faith that's going to get you out of it. 
wise choices in the other direction are going to get you out of it. And so, you know, I'll use, I'll use an example. Uh, I, I think Wayne had talked about this last week. At Christmas, um, I know that the Financial Peace class is meeting. Um, they've got a couple, a week or two still to meet. And there have been some people in our congregation that are going through the Financial Peace class because they want wisdom in their finances that they had not formerly had. And, um, and, and so I think Wayne had touched on last week that there are people still paying off debt this Christmas from what they charged last Christmas. And so when we make those choices to overspend, um, we need to make wise choices to get out of debt. It, you're not going to really do If we keep making unwise choices, we're going to still wind up in the ditch and faith is not going to get us out of it. It's, it's, it's beginning to walk in wisdom that begins to get us out of some of these ditches. Now, faith is applied in certain places, but I, re, I remember um, when David and I, a number of years ago, it was after he had started the business, we were carrying so much debt and I was so afraid because there was so little money coming in. So I was just charging everything, I mean, up to groceries and gas because I was so afraid that we weren't going to have enough money that he was getting in from, from jobs that he was doing. And um, if anybody owns a business, you know that there's a learning curve. And the first couple of years are not very profitable because you're pretty much giving the house away. And so that was during that time. It was pretty much as he was on this learning curve, we had very little to work with. And so I remember, but I remember the time came where the Lord really confronted me with that in Matthew 6, um, where, where that he's going to take care, he's going to take care of us. Consider how he takes care of the lilies of the field and, and how if he cares so much for the flowers and the birds, how much more does he care for us? And that do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of its own and that, that he's going to provide what we need. And I remember when I got a hold of that verse, I, I started going, I really shouldn't be using credit like I am. I need to start walking in more in faith and I need to stop swiping the card as much and I need to start spending more in cash. And there was, um, it had become such a habit for me to go swipe a card that I was, I was at the gas station one day and I went to swipe the credit card, not a debit card, a credit card. I was racking up more debt. I was swiping the card to put gas in my car and I heard the voice of the Lord say this. He said, Beverly, you've been asking me and praying and asking me to move in your finances. But every time you swipe that card and you put more on your credit card, you are removing a, the chance for me to be faithful to you, to prove my faithfulness to you. Every time you swipe that credit card in fear, you are removing a chance for me to prove my faithfulness to you. And then he said this to me, you are asking for a supernatural move in your finances, and yet you're still putting stuff on your credit card. He said that is the same thing as a a lung cancer patient coming to me asking for healing with a cigarette still hanging out of their mouth. Now think about that. It's a very visual example. So you don't continue to walk in the same habits, but asking God by faith to get you out of the mess when what you're doing is continually perpetuating the mess. Do you, under, do you get it? Okay. So that's my first tidbit, but that, that wasn't in my notes, okay? So let's get into this. I'm going to talk to you about three places of wisdom that we can draw from. And this is a very practical teaching. So um, the first place of wisdom that we can draw from is practical wisdom. God gave us a brain. We should use it. So I'm serious. This is, uh, this is not an overly spiritual place. There are three places that we draw wisdom from. The first one is practical wisdom. It is using your noggin. It's called common sense. 
And, and so um, practical wisdom, I want to give you a definition of what I view practical wisdom being. Practical wisdom is the ability to see future consequences of the choices I am currently making. So wisdom is the ability to see the future consequences of the choices that I am currently making. So the things that I'm doing right now, how are they going to affect my future? That's just practical. That's, that's a practical definition of wisdom. We've all lived a little and we've experienced a little. Wisdom learns from past experiences and it tries not to make the same mistake twice. How many of you have ever asked yourself, how in the world did I wind up here again? How in the world did you, because we did this, we made the same mistake twice. Practical wisdom is also drawing on the experiences and counsel of others. So wisdom, practical wisdom is learning from our own mistakes and, and, and correcting them. But it's also drawing on the experiences and counsel of others. However, make sure that you are choosing who you are counseling with wisely. A number of years ago, uh, are, so when you look at, at who you're counseling with, are they in a place that is better than you? Have they gone through some of the things that you've done? And are they succeeding in that area now? A number of years ago, David and I were counseling a couple, and um, the wife had a lot of ideas. We're just like, we would, we would counsel them, and, and she would just come back with, with, with some of this stuff where we're just going, this is like not beneficial to their marriage at all, and where is she getting this? And she, she eventually shared with us that, that her mother and her were very close, and she got a lot of guidance. She spent a lot of time with her mom, and her mom did a lot of counseling. Um, it gave her a lot of guidance in her marriage. Well, her mother had been divorced three times. And we finally told her, you need to stop. I know she's your mom and she means well, but you need to stop counseling with your mama because she doesn't know what she's talking about and what she's telling you is hurting your marriage. And so you need to be careful practically with who you are getting counsel from. Proverbs 15:22, I'm going to give you some scriptures. Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. So plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. And so it's a really good thing. You know, in church, sometimes we, we don't want to bring people into our personal space um, because uh, we, we just, there's a church face that people can put on when they come into church. You know what? We are so far past that. Forget the church face. Get around some people. If you're struggling in an area, find some people that you trust and just be real with them. Just be real with them. Get some good, godly counsel around you in a practical way. Another version of the Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. Proverbs 11.14, where there is no counsel, the people fall, or the people fall. In some versions, it says the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is, is safety. And with each one, which each of these principles I'm going to share with you, I'm going to give you an example because examples are a great picture of how this works. Uh, another, uh, this, was, this was way long ago, about 15 years ago. It was before we were ever counseling people in marriages, but we, had a, we were in a, a, over a young adult group. And there was a married couple in that young adult group. And think about it. This verse says that, that plans fail or people fail for lack of counsel. 
And um, there was a couple that was uh, newly married. Um, I believe that they had one of their children, uh, had, had just had a child about a year earlier. And I got a call from the husband one day. And he said, Beverly, he said, I need you to call my wife and I need you to talk to her. I'm like, okay. Um, uh, you know, about what? What's going on? And he said, you know, we, we were in a close friendship with this other couple. And, uh, you know, we did everything together. We were best friends with them. And this other couple, um, she just lost her husband. Um, there, was, there was something, there was a sudden death and he, and, and he was taken from them. And he said, uh, my wife is jealous of her now. It's like my wife doesn't want her around and doesn't really want, um, and he said, this is really hard because we were best friends with this couple. And just because her husband's gone, you know, doesn't mean that we can't be in relationship with, you know, so he wanted me to call his wife and talk to her because he was saying she was being overly jealous. And so this is the awesome thing about God is that when people call for counsel, the Lord gives you the right questions to begin to ask. And so I began to ask this young man questions. And, and, I, and I, so I, you know, I said, well, you know, what, what is her situation? Well, you know, she's, she's, um, she's a young mom. She's got two kids and she needs help. And, you know, so we go over there and I help her with this and I help her with that. And just as I began to ask him some of these questions, um, uh, I began to realize that there was something growing in this young man's heart that he did not recognize. He was not aware of it. And so he was calling me to call and correct his wife. And yet what he really didn't know is what he was calling for was godly counsel. And, and, and as I asked him a few questions, the last thing that, the, the thing that turned the light bulb on for him is I said, you know, if, because he kept telling me how this woman didn't mean anything to him, but she needed help. And I said, you know, if she really means nothing to you, then it will cost you nothing to give up that relationship because she no longer has a husband by her side and you have a wife and you, this is hurting your wife and you need to give this up for the sake of your wife, whether it's valid or not. And do you know that in that moment when I said that, that if this woman means nothing to you, it should cost you nothing to give her up. The light bulb went on to him and he began to admit to me, you know what? There is a growing attraction. It was like all of a sudden the realization came. And so he shut the door and him and his wife shut the door. I, I told him there's plenty of other people that can help her out in the church that you guys are connected to. And that couple that man that had called me, that couple is still married today. They have four kids. Every once in a while, they drop in on our doorstep completely unannounced. They're the only ones that do that. Like at least once a year, they're going to drive into our driveway. And it's usually when my house is a mess. I've just, I've had to get over that with them. But they're a lovely couple. They're happily married. But at the time when he was on a narrow road, when there was this place coming where the signs were there and there was warning, rocks falling, hairpin turned, don't go over the edge, slow down. He got godly counsel and it protected. So that's practical wisdom. He was calling. He, he didn't realize what he needed, but that, that's what I'm talking about. There's this practical wisdom that we can draw on from other people. 
And so we need, we need, to, we need to be mindful of that. Um, I'll give you a more recent one. And ladies, some of you, this will help you out. It involves my son and me. Um, this past week, he went to, um, he needed a haircut. So he was, you know, yelling at me for three days to get him to the hair place. And I finally got him there. Well, I dropped him off, had to run some errands, came back and picked him up. And when, I, when we walked out of there, the minute we walked out of there, this, it was just like, this woman did not cut his hair at all. She took way too much off. It was, I mean, literally it was, it marked him. It was, a, everybody's had that hair cut that got cut too short. All of us have had that, right? And you will never forget it and you'll never do it again. That's why I have really long hair because it happened when I was about 13 and I've never cut my hair short again. Um, but that happened to Nicholas just this past week. And I said, well, why didn't you tell her? And I said, did you see what she was doing? And he said, Yeah. I said, well, why didn't you tell her? He said, I didn't want to hurt her feelings. And I'm like, I said, well, what does wisdom tell you? He said, the next time I need to speak up. Absolutely. So by that evening, he was still talking about it. He was so harassed by this haircut. He could not get over it. He was looking online to try to find out ways to make his hair grow faster. I'm not kidding. He gave me a list of vitamins. He told me conditioners to get him that was going to get his hair growing faster because he wants it back to its normal length by the time he goes back to school next week. So finally at dinner time, I let him in on one of my experiences that, that kind of helped him out a little bit. I said, Nicholas, I said, I made the same mistake a couple years ago too. I said, I went to, I don't go to pet for pedicures very often, but someone had given me a gift card for a pedicure. So I'd gone to have my feet done. And as this woman who didn't speak very good English was doing my feet, um, she looked at me she, and, and she goes, I do your eyebrows too? And I'm like, oh, sure. You all know the rest of this story. By the time she was done with my eyebrows, they were completely gone. I actually, I had no eyebrows left at all. She took them all off. She took them all off, and I actually called my husband to warn him. I was crying, and I'm like, David, I just let the pedicure lady do my eyebrows. And I'm like, she took them completely off. And I did. I called him and warned him ahead of time so that he knew he was, he was, an eyebrowless wife was coming home. And so these eyebrows have never been done again. I don't even pluck these babies. They, you know, I'm keeping them as long as I can, and I'm keeping as much as I can. So when I shared with Nicholas, so, so ladies, that's your tip. Do not allow the petty lady to do your eyebrows. <laughs> isn't it? It's kind of fun to have fun in church once in a while, isn't it? I told you this was going to be more of a teaching than it is a preaching or an exhortation. It's a practical teaching, and we can have fun with that. I believe that, that God loves to have fun. So, um, so actually, that story really helped Nicholas. He, he laughed, and he forgot about his hair after that because cause he, he actually really likes his eyebrows, and the girls like his eyebrows. So he realized he still has his eyebrows, and, and so he's, he's good to go. I want to move on to the second the second place of wisdom. So the first is practical wisdom. The second place is godly wisdom. Godly wisdom, and this is what godly wisdom is. Godly wisdom is effectively applying divine truth found in the word of God to your everyday situations. So godly wisdom is effectively applying the truth that we find in the word of God to our everyday situations. Proverbs 10.4 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. 14.23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. There's people that I've sat with, and they have a lot of dreams. 
but they just will not even get a job because they're waiting for God to bring them the perfect job or to fulfill their dream. And I'm like, that is foolishness. That is not godly wisdom. And so if you go to the word of God, the word of God will show you how to live well, even, even, even practically. So that, that, that's just a practical um, example. Um, not working and waiting for God to do this big thing. I knew this guy, he surfed from couch to couch because he didn't have room even to, for a place to live. But he was waiting for God to tell him what job to get. And I'm like, man, you just need money. McDonald's would be just fine right now. That'll get you off, you know, off of the couch surfing. Um, but I, um, Galatians 6, if you want to put that up for a moment, this, this is a place where God's word helped me in a very, it, such godly wisdom came at a time when I was on one of those very narrow, narrow roads where what I did in that moment was going to affect the people around me. And David referred to it a couple weeks ago when he took my bag and he dumped it all upside down up here and said, you know, if there's stuff in your life that the God wants to put his finger on and he keeps coming to you about it and you're refusing to let him put his finger on it, at some point he's going to take your stuff. And then he took my purse and dumped it all out on the floor right here. And, and David knows that because that's what God did to him. And so there were things that, that David had effectively hidden in his life. This was years ago. And, 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 and I, as his wife, did not know about it. They were weaknesses that he was moving in. There were sin issues that he was dealing with. And he kept them all hidden and all to his, himself. And, and he told me later, the Lord kept trying to put his finger on it, but David just wouldn't let him. And so the point came where the Lord dumped all of his stuff out in front of his wife, where he could no longer deny what was going on. And the day that that happened, the day that all of this stuff came out, um, I had just gotten back from up north. Um, uh, David had been working here, and I had taken the kids up to visit my parents, and I had just gotten back from up north. The van was sitting in the driveway. Suitcases were still in there. And I came in the house, and within an hour, you know, this, this blah, it was just there. And so there was, emotions were very high for me. I was very angry. There was a feeling of betrayal because the, these were things that had been hidden from me. And... Um, and as I, uh, he, David was actually was very broken and he was, he was, he was very broken and very repentant and, and, but that wasn't, that, that wasn't what I was, that wasn't enough for me in that moment. And so I was on this very narrow road. There was this place that I knew the decision that I made right then and there was going to affect my family. And, um, I had just said to him, you know what? That van is still packed. My suitcases are still in there. I'm putting the kids back in the van, and I'm driving back up to Michigan. And I said, I'll be back when you get your life straight. That's exactly what I told him. I will be back when you get your mess cleaned up. And so David left the house, and he went for a long walk. And after he left, I sat down at the kitchen table. And, and God is so good, because I sat down at the kitchen table. And what was sitting on the kitchen table but the Bible, and what was it open to was this exact verse. And I'm going to read one through three because in that moment, on that narrow road, in that narrow place where there was danger on every side and the decision that I made in that moment could put us in a ditch, I needed godly wisdom and instruction from the word. And I sat down, the Bible is open, and this is what it said in this translation. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Verse 2. 
share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. Verse 3. This is where he nailed me. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Slap, slap, slap. But see, in that moment, I needed the wisdom of God because my emotions were all over the place. And the emotion in me was, I'm out of here. Get your stuff together and I'll be back. I don't want to deal with this. This is too much for me. And yet the word of God, I needed godly wisdom. And the word of God came in front of me and I applied it. By the time David got back, I was weeping too. And it's like, I'm in this with you and we are in this together. You are my husband. And I remembered everything that he had walked through with me and the way that he had made concessions for me and the times that I, and the time that I needed healing. And, and David was so faithful in being supportive and just walking with me. And so God just did such a, he did such a major work in our lives through this. But that verse stopped me in my tracks. Stop. Praise God that godly wisdom is available to us just by reading the Bible. Just by reading the Bible, we don't need to, we don't need to go in an altar and, and sit there and wait for five hours just to hear from God. God speaks through his word, and he helps us through those narrow places just by being in the word of God. So I'm going to, you ready for the third one? Third and last. So we have practical wisdom. We have godly wisdom. And we have the third one, which is the wisdom of God, different than godly wisdom. Godly wisdom is what comes through the the scripture. The wisdom of God is this. It is what is needed for those places in life when you are at a crossroad that is completely life-altering or you are facing a huge challenge and you do not know which way to go. You need the wisdom of God. You need the voice of God. You need to hear from God. You cannot walk in the wisdom of God unless you have sat in the counsel of God. Those are the times where the altar is necessary. Those are the times where the, the, the seeking and the, the tarrying and the waiting is necessary. Because there are times, there are times practically You can move and God is going to bless you. But there are those moments where you want to wait and you want to hear from the Lord because the decisions that you are making are very, very crucial. And so go to Jeremiah 33.3. It says, call to me. This is what the Lord said. Call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a breakdown of this scripture of what, what I'm, going to, I'm going to focus on the word call, I'm going to focus on the word answer, and I'm going to focus on the word tell. So that word call is kara in the Hebrew, and it means to cry out, to proclaim, to summons, to invite, and it also is the first step in gaining truth. We call unto the Lord. It's the first step of gaining truth. This word in the Hebrew is also associated with, with God's sovereignty. So listen to this. I loved this. That the that call here, call to me, it means it means to that that word call is means to establish a relationship in the ranked order. Let, let me say that a different way. The caller, which is me, 
the caller, which is us, acknowledges the superiority of the one being called. So when we call in this context, we are acknowledging God's sovereignty in our life. As we call to him, we are establishing the relationship in the proper order. It means we're not asking for answers from someone who knows less than we do. He knows it all. He's in the control tower. We're just flying the plane. He sees things that we cannot see. When I call on God, I'm acknowledging his authority over me, and I'm inviting him in to instruct me with the understanding that whatever God says in that moment goes. I'm not calling on him for a bit of advice. I'm not looking to add his answer to a whole long list of options that I'm considering. When I call in that fashion, it means whatever he responds to me, it's done. Even if it costs me something, I'm going to do it. I'm looking for a command from him. He doesn't answer in this context when I'm just looking for a little bit of advice and wanting his two cents to add to my long list of items. I call on him and he answers me because I'm calling out to him going, I don't know what to do in this situation. I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your counsel. That's acknowledging your ways are higher than mine and whatever you say, I'm doing. The minute I know, the minute you reveal to me, I'm doing it. So the word answer here means that he responds. It means that he speaks. It means he even shouts that he will proclaim it out. He will declare it out loudly. And actually there's um, Shiana, she's, I learned this a little bit from her and I I continued to learn. I love the Hebrew and the Greek and I love to go into the languages. But Shiana is the one that said, have you ever like looked at the word pictures? Because every Hebrew word consists of word pictures also. And so this word answer is the picture, actually the first letter in this word is the picture of an eye. And it actually expresses um, intellectual insight. The second letter is the middle, that's in the middle or the heart of this word. It actually represents the faithfulness of God. So in his faithfulness, he's going to give you the insight that is needed when he answers you. James says that anyone who needs wisdom, just ask, and he'll give it without rebuking you. He says, I, I, th- yeah, that I will I call unto me, I will answer you, and, and he won't just answer, I will tell you, I will show you. And that root, actually, the root word of that, of that Hebrew word actually means face-to-face. I'm coming close. When you call on me in that way, when you call on me in a place of submission, I'm going to meet with you face-to-face. I'm going to speak to you personally. If you are sincere about giving up your way and applying my way and my wisdom and my counsel in this situation, I'm going to tell you what you need to know. And that word tell or show, and this I loved, um, it means to make known, to declare, to proclaim, to publish. It also means to expound, which means it's not just going to be a simple answer. He's going to expound on it. He's going to give you the answer that you need. He's going to give you the information that you need to do what he's calling you to do. It means to expose and to bring to light. It means to solve. He will give you a means of effectively dealing with the problem. I will tell you, I will give you the means of effectively dealing with a problem. 
A.W. Tozer describes wisdom this way. God brings about the best possible results for the most possible people, the greatest number of people, in the best possible way for the longest period of time. God brings about, in his wisdom, the best possible results for the most amount of people in the best possible way for the longest period of time. I'm going to close with this. Proverbs chapter 8. You can flip there. I didn't give, I, I gave it to Steve. You can pull it up in, in whatever Bible you have. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. See, I'm, I'm looking at 2019, and I think going into 2019, um, there are some of you that are really looking for the guidance and the counsel of God right now on some things. And I'm telling you, when you call on him, when you put him in his rightful place and you're calling out to a sovereign God and you're, you, what, you, what your heart is saying, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I don't even know what the answer is to this, but I promise you I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. He's going to answer you. Proverbs chapter 8. says, does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the path meets, she takes her stand. And I'm just going to stop right there. At the highest point along the way where the path meets, meaning wherever that crossroads is, where you have a choice of going one direction or the other. Wisdom stands there and she calls out. She will cry out and she will instruct you. And she will give you what you need to know to make the decision that God is going to bless you in for your life. For more information about this or other media resources, please visit our website at world-impactministries.com. Thanks for listening to this Sermon of the Week. Our prayer is that you are encouraged and strengthened by this message.